0: Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Inception. What do you want from us? Inception. Is it possible? Of course not.
1: If you can steal an idea from someone's mind, why can't you plant one there instead? Okay. This is a science fiction action heist thriller. Directed by Christopher Nolan. The cast includes Jordan Belfort, Don John, Juno MacGuff, Max Rakitansky, Dr. Ishiro Shirazawa, Dr. Max Patel, Oppenheimer,
0: Talia Al Ghul, and Michael Caine. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. All right. We'll begin this episode by recapping the events of the movie Inception with the synopsis that Joey wrote. Go ahead, Joey.
1: Cobb and Arthur are extractors, experts in high-stakes espionage that involves infiltrating people's dreams and stealing their personal secrets straight from their minds. After a botched job, their target, Sato, is impressed with Cobb's technique of using dreams within dreams to disorient and control their victims. He hires him to perform an impossible task,
0: Inception. It is one thing to steal information from someone's mind. It is another to plant an idea and have it affect a person's actions. Inception is a bit of a white whale for extractors like Cobb. Some believe it is impossible, but Cobb, well, he's done it before.
1: Sato's job also comes with an enticing reward. For unknown reasons, Cobb has been unable to return home to his children. Sato claims he can fix Cobb's extradition problem and free him from his life on the run for the small price of one more
0: job. Cobb assembles a team, including Ariadne, a talented rookie dream architect, Eames, an expert forger and dream master of disguise, and Yusuf, a chemist with a special dream sedative. Together they construct the most elaborate dream heist ever conceived. Sato's main rival is Maurice Fisher. Maurice is on his deathbed, and his son, Robert, is poised to take over the family business. Sato wants Robert to break up his father's company. That idea is what must be incepted into Robert's mind.
1: After his father dies, Robert takes a long plane ride to the U.S. Our team fills the rest of the first class cabin. They drug Robert, and then the heist begins.
0: Immediately, things go off the rails. Robert's subconscious had been trained in anti-extraction methods. Instead of the passive civilian projections inside most people's dreams, Robert's subconscious is militarized and aggressive. Sato is shot, and a freight train blocks the team's path.
1: They are able to grab Fisher and start the first part of the plant. Eames wears the face of Peter Browning an old and loyal associate of his father's. He tells Robert he has been tortured and that the kidnappers are after a secret code. Fisher is interrogated for the code, but he doesn't know anything. He eventually gives up six random digits.
0: The team sedates Fisher again, and they enter the second dream layer. Before they go under, Cobb confesses to lying to the team. Because of the strength of the sedation, if they die in the dream, they will float down to limbo, unstructured dream space, from which there is no certainty of return.
1: Privately, Ariadne presses Cobb further and he confesses his other secret to her. Cobb and his wife Maul had been experimenting with dreams within dreams. They spent 50 years in limbo, building and growing old together. But Maul lost track of what was real and stopped believing she could wake up. Cobb never let go of the life they left behind, but was unable to convince Maul that she was dreaming. So he planted an idea in her mind without her knowledge. He convinced her that her reality wasn't real and that to wake up, she had to die. But once they made it back to base reality, Maul still thought she was dreaming. She tried to convince Cobb that they needed to die again, even though this time it would be permanent. Without being able to convince him, She framed him for her murder and committed suicide, hoping that would force him to follow her to the next level. Cobb still hasn't moved on and has kept the memory of Maul alive inside his dreams. He has trouble controlling her, and she sometimes shows up to sabotage the heist.
0: The team get into a van driven by Yusuf. He drives and fights off militarized projections while everyone else sleeps. In the next dream level, the team and Fisher are in a hotel. Cobb tells Fisher that he is the head of his dream military and that he is there to protect him. A projection of Peter Browning is used as a scapegoat, and Cobb tells Fisher that they are going into Peter's mind, but they are actually going into Fisher's.
1: Arthur stays behind in the hotel to fight off projections and to do cool stunts in the hotel hallway. The next dream level is a military fortress in the middle of the tundra. Dream goons on snowmobiles
0: and skis chase our team up and down the mountain, but Eames picks them off. They get Fisher in front of the vault, the final and most secret part of his own mind, but suddenly Maul appears and shoots Fisher, sending him into limbo. The plan seems to have completely unraveled, but Ariadne doesn't want to give up. Her and Cobb go another level deeper, chasing Fisher into limbo. They wake up on a beach,
1: surrounded by a crumbling city. Cobb takes Ariadne on a brief tour of his and Maul's memories. He leads her to a room at the top of a skyscraper where Maul is waiting with Fisher.
0: Cobb finally confronts Maul, acknowledging that she is only a projection, a poor copy of his beautiful wife. He forgives himself for his mistakes and lets her go. Ariadne and Fisher jump from the balcony, waking up in the Dream Fortress. Cobb stays behind to find Sato, who has succumbed to his wounds and is also trapped in limbo.
1: Fisher wakes in the dream fortress and opens the vault. Inside, he finds his dying father. His father tells Robert that he was disappointed that Robert tried to be like him, planting the idea for Robert to forsake his inheritance and make his own way. The dreams collapse as each layer is woken up. Cobb eventually washes up on the shore of Sato's subconscious. Sato is now a very old man but Cobb helps him wake up and return to reality.
0: Sato makes a phone call, and when the team goes through immigration, Cobb is let through without issue. He goes home and finally sees his children's faces. The end. There you have it. The events of Inception, as told by our very own Joey. We'll begin our analysis of this film with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Inception? Inception is a gripping
1: and exciting movie. It's got so many twists and turns. I just love how many different like levels there are to the story, and how there's so many different things that are happening all at once, and you never quite know what's going to happen next. Um, it's got this really unique and meta cinematic concept that really captures the audience's uh, imagination, especially mine. Um, it's complex and multi layered, but still pretty easy to follow. Uh, it's uh, there's an inspired performance from Leonardo DiCaprio, truly one of his greatest roles. Um, Very fun set pieces and incredible looking effects. And there's just iconic memories that are uh, iconic mo- moments that apparently I'm never going to forget because I'm <laughs> I'm thinking about them all the time. Um, and this movie just defines its era in cinema. Uh, so many things were trying to be like Inception after it came out. After its trailer was re- released, it, like changed trailers for the next ten years. It was insane.
0: Yeah, um, insert
1: so, blunt noise here. <laughs> yeah, <I'm just> <laughs> all day. Um, so it's just it's just crazy uh, the impact this movie had, and I think it's well earned because it's. Uh, really something amazing.
0: What yeah, I, I agree with all that uh, that you just said. This is one of my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performances. This movie features an incredible ensemble cast. I especially enjoy the banter between Arthur and Eames. I, I thought that that brought a very charming uh, kind of characterization to the two of them. The slow motion in this movie kicked ass. The gravity tricks in this movie kicked ass. I thought uh, Marion Cotillard, I believe is how you say her name. Uh, Cotillard. yeah is the the actress that played mall she was scary but also so real she was lovely and vulnerable like i just i and and she was such a uh, haunting presence throughout the entire movie i thought it was so important that they nailed that and and her performance is fantastic i thought that uh you know the, the the use of practical effects in this movie helps it to hold up uh over a decade later Um, because there's a lot of practical effects in a movie that you could see being made maybe with way more CGI. Uh, The Hans Zimmer score goes hard. The concept of shared dreaming itself is just so much fun, something that makes me want to spend more time with this movie and makes me want to rewatch it over and over again. I thought that Cobb's emotional development was really gripping. It's kind of the heart and soul of the film. And finally, this movie's low-key funny. They actually do inject uh, a good bit of comedy. Something I didn't remember about this film. I mean, when Yusuf is, you know, the the dreamer for the first level, and it's raining because he has to pee. That was funny. Yeah, there's really a lot good. of little witty. But he turns
1: around in the car and he's like, "Hey, did you guys, see that? I just totally flipped the car, and they're all asleep."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't think they went overboard or made it kind of like Marvel where they're too cool to be where they are you know or they're like okay that just happened right yeah. it, was, it was a good amount of humor for a mostly serious film so I've thought that that was really well done so those are our pros let's move on to our cons Joey what did you not like about Inception
1: um why should I care about corporate espionage <laughs> you know like this movie is it, at some level super cynical in that it's like You know, I love movies that are about family and about like coming together, and you know, realizing people have strengths that maybe you overlooked in the past. And this movie is like, what if? But what if we used family bonds to break up a company? You know, like what if we use that for uh, (laughs) for capitalism instead? That that would be good. Um, uh, Is this movie (laughs) anti women or just anti wife? Uh, Hard to tell, honestly. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't. I don't think the main gist of the Inception is clear at all um i think that the like the storyline of how does fisher like come to the realization that he should break up the company like is not telegraphed in a way that is clear uh to me i remember the first few times watching this movie i had i got the general feeling of the movie i got the dreams within dreams thing i got the mall storyline i got the um uh, you know, like that they were trying to do this heist, and that Fisher was the was the uh, target. The but it wasn't it wasn't clear to me what was happening or what I should be watching for until like the musical cue and the rest of the cinematic cues tell me that's what I'm supposed to be watching for, right? So uh, this time watching it, I I feel like I was paying closer attention. I had better understanding. I was picking up on some of that dialogue. It was the first time I watched it with subtitles, I think so that really made a big difference. Um, but I don't think the general like the the most basic part of the story which is how does the heist work is clear um i think and some of the effects for this movie you know this is this came out what not 13 years ago they don't look as great as i think they used to um, especially like some of the buildings falling apart and stuff like that. Obviously all the practical stuff looks absolutely incredible. There's so many moments in here that really stand out to me, but there are just some parts that like when they're falling out the building, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> it just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't look as good as, um, as I think it could. What about you?
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. The whole Paris folding in half like sequence. I, when I was younger, I was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And now it's like, Yeah, this is clearly a. when they they walk
1: up the wall, it just something about it just doesn't look right,
0: you know? Yes. Yeah. So it's stuff like that that, yeah, it doesn't age as well, but that's the nature of some of those CGI tricks versus the kind of uh, timeless special effects that are done practically which this movie features ton of so like on the whole i still love the special effects for this movie there are a few awkward moments though and and going back to saying watching this movie with subtitles absolute requirement to fully understand a christopher nolan film i'm sorry you got to have subtitles he's he's very comfortable letting a lot of dialogue just kind of be hidden underneath other sounds so uh i do recommend the subtitles for uh this film um as far as my cons go, uh, I basically just have one. For the most part, characterization takes a backseat to explanation of this film. We spend so much time getting to know how stuff works. We really... Don't get that deep into who these characters are outside of Cobb. And, yeah. you know, I would love to know more about Arthur. I would love to know more about Eames. I'd I, I love the, uh, you know, Yusuf clearly seems smart, but what we get a little bit of a look into his ethics surrounding dreams, but I would love to know more about that kind of stuff. I would love to hear uh, where these guys came from or, or, you know, not all that stuff is necessary, nece- like uh, necessarily, but we got almost none of it because there's just not enough time when you have to do all these other things. So as much as I like the characters in here, they're all pretty one dimensional, uh, which is a little disappointing because there's clearly, uh, so much potential, uh, when you've got uh, a cast like this. So those are our pros and our cons. Let's get into the overall section and really dive into this movie. You could, you could say this is maybe another level of the podcast that we're entering (laughs) into here. Um, and, and I'll just say, um, I was a huge fan of this movie when it first came out. It was one of the few times in my life where, right after I watched a movie, I immediately wanted to watch it again. I think that's a common, uh, you know, re- reaction to a first viewing of Inception. Would you say that's that's accurate, Joey?
1: I think so, for sure. Uh, for me, like this movie was so popular and had such like a such a like uh, you know effect on people that it was. It kind of, it it annoyed me when I first came out because in like the most, you know, um, gatekeepy way where I was like, oh, all these people are like, they love Inception. They think Inception is so cool. It's like, what about all the other movies that I've watched that like totally blew my mind? You know, like, oh, these people are so, these people have uh, just discovered that movies can be powerful. Like, oh, it's so so annoying. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, I think that, I think a lot of people were really taken with it and and really were like having their brains scrambled and i think a lot of stuff kind of got swept under like as far as uh, under like perfect understanding um and i think that but i feel i feel like that kind of feeling was was the purpose of the film and I wouldn't surprise me that a lot of people went back to try to piece the pieces together i certainly was trying to figure it out in my head right well, after i watched the movie in the theaters being like okay what what exactly was this what exactly was this did this mean and uh you know who is this person and and why did this happen
0: yeah i agree I, I i wanted to i demanded to understand everything about this movie, but I also just wanted to spend more time in this world where shared dreaming was possible uh you know- re- returning to this film as an adult with a mostly fully functioning brain, <laughs> I have found Whoa. that it is far less complicated than I previously thought. A lot of the dialogue that went way over my head as a child is now seemingly plainly stated and easily understood. I feel like you can say that to... I think you can say that to some degree about any movie you see as a child and then rewatch as an adult. But seriously, I never understood... What they were doing with SaTO at the beginning of the movie. Corporate espionage just didn't register as a concept <laughs> in my tiny child brain. And now that I can grasp concepts like this, I enjoy this movie that much more because that whole sequence at the beginning made more sense. like i'm I'm until this rewatch of Inception over a decade later after my first watch, I did not understand why that guy was in the helicopter, the original architect, which again, I didn't remember that that was who he was. And then just seeing him get dragged out, I was like, where, where is that guy going? Why is Sato, like, not killing any of these guys? Wasn't he just their enemy? Now he's on their team? What is going on? Like, it, it just as a kid, none of that made sense. It didn't matter, though, because I was enjoying it so much. But yeah, it just didn't make any sense to me. But now that it does, I'm a lot more uh, invested. Because the, the plot to incept Robert Fisher to dissolve his father's company is actually pretty straightforward. Um, I, I agree that there's, like, some twists and turns in there where it's, like, not... it's hard to follow the exact details of what's going on, but you know, the basis of it is it's your father was just bad at communicating his emotions and he does love you and he wants you to make your own name in this world because he believes in you and he knows that you can do it, which is why you should fulfill his, his last wish for you and dissolve the company and do your own thing. I feel like however they get to that point, you know there's a lot of twists and turns that is clear by the end of it and it's actually funny to me it's actually hilarious uh because now robert has this really meaningful connection with his dead father that's been totally fabricated by Cobb (laughs) and the gang the funeral that he's going to in la when he lands is about to be way more cathartic for him than it really should be
1: (laughs) yes no i think that's so interesting i remember like it's so cool watching them break down this idea, right? And like the dream heist is such an interesting idea because it seems like everybody's just like a, a, an actor in this like, um, you know, elaborate Ocean's Eleven style like gag, right? But it's way more complicated than that. They have to know this person really, really well and they have to understand what they're going, like what, what they have to say to him in order for that to like come to fruition. It was really satisfying for me watching this and having Eames like literally spell out, I will not follow my father's footsteps. I will create something for myself. my father doesn't want me to be him, and having that actually play out in each level and then take one at a time, plus like Cobb handing him the glass of water and being like, Your father was a great man, you know, like uh, I'm sorry for your loss, just to prime him to be like <laughs> this is why I'm thinking about my father right it, it's so good it's it's like this this subtlety to the heist that is. was totally lost to me before and i think it's just so brilliant um and and it is rare that like they actually spell out everything they're gonna do and then have it actually come true and although like obviously it doesn't go exactly to plan it does they do follow these footsteps they do go from one place to the other planting the idea giving fisher this like thought that he needs to like you know do something for himself and uh it's really it's really satisfying actually watching it all come together let me ask you a question. You, you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on.
0: I guess, yeah.
1: So how did we end up here?
0: Well, we just came from the... Uh...
1: Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now?
0: We're dreaming.
1: You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. Um, I want to ask you a question. Cobb says that he thinks that positive emotion trumps negative emotion in terms of like something taking, right? What do you what do you make of that? Do you think that's true?
0: Ah. <sighs> for actually taking action, I I guess I would take like more of a middle ground stance and I would say it depends on the person. Sure. Um, But if we're going to go generally, I disagree. I think that negative emotion uh, causes you to take action more like, more often than the opposite.
1: I see. So you you agree with uh, Zuckerberg, Dick Zuckerberg, as he's yes, saying. yes. Um, I
0: do agree with Zuckerberg. I agree with what I see on the internet. I agree with what I see in politics. Um, I see more people taking action out of anger or malice or some sort of uh, outrage. reaction yeah, outrage. There you go. As opposed to people being like, "Wow, I have I'm overflowing with positive emotions. Let me go make sure that good things happen to other people."
1: It is this irony to to the whole thing, right? Because it it makes it paints Cobb and his allies and Sato too right as like these do gooders right they're they're heisting for good right <laughs> which is what you want from your heist guys right you want them taking down somebody big not like you know uh, contributing to the problem and although like they're using this like positive emotion and like reshaping this man's vision of his dead father uh, for their own personal gain. Like it, it gives you this feeling like, Oh, these guys are the good guys. You know, these guys are doing the, the right thing here. You know, it, even though it's like really, it's, it's really slimy in, in like this <laughs> in a way. Right. Like how do we know like, Saito is just like, I can get you home. Like we don't like, he's this mega rich Airplane air uh, airline buying freak, you know, like <laughs> yes. he's not uh, he's not any more moral than uh, Maurice's, and like this merger or like you know future acquisition or, or whatever that he's trying to avoid. Um, it's not clear that this is going to make any difference to the people of the world, right? He's just uh, he's just pitching the same marketing uh slogan that the world needs Robert Fisher to uh you know break up his company or whatever, right? It's not a um. There isn't like this clear like um, humanitarian or like even vengeance based um, uh, reason for this heist. It's it's purely for like profit and like corporate greed.
0: Yeah, I- I'll be honest. I don't feel like the movie tries to convince us that what's happening is being done for the greater good. It's being done for Cobb's greater good, yeah. but the things that he do I and mean, he even says are not strictly speaking legal none of the other characters are shown to have any sort of um moral morally qualities. righteous or oh yeah. yeah morally righteous motivation they're all in it for money seemingly yusuf's in it because he gets two shares That's he true. gets <laughs> Cobb's entire share so um I, I do think that this movie honestly doesn't really address the moral implications of it um, i think that Sato's powers as this like super rich guy um, is just like a plot device to get Cobb home right to help set up the heist but if you're talking about good or evil in this uh it's it, we really just don't we have incomplete information because even if Cobb is able to rectify his situation who's to say that he didn't do an un- uncountable number of speakable uh, unspeakable acts when he's uh, like learning how to infiltrate minds with dreams. Maul may be one of many casualties that came through the discoveries of dream uh, exploration that yeah, yeah. was caused by Cobb's reckless, uh, uh, you know, methods.
1: Right. And he's like I I really like Cobb as a character. I think he's so I think he's such a good like antihero. Um I like when he's on the on the helicopter with Saito and Saito's like, Hey, uh you know, I'm thinking about elephants. Um <laughs> Cobb is like you know, he's like, I'll square it myself with with Cobalt Engineering, right? Right. It's like he's suddenly so far away from his goal at this point right where he's like i've just made another enemy a very powerful enemy right i've now botched some other job and now i got all these people that are after me trying to figure out what i'm what i'm going to do next and he, he he's nowhere closer to getting home and it's only when sato offers this to him that he like sees any sort of like light at the end of this this tunnel but He's so he's so tied up and this in this web of conspiracies and spying and you know sabotage that it's it's almost impossible for him to like even see himself and then for him to be just so freaking broken right he is like he is such a liability to this team <laughs> but they don't see but it doesn't matter because it's like and I, I I love that I love that he is such a he's like such a wild card while being our main character and like. Everything around him is just falling apart. He's seeing his kids in Fisher's dream within the dream you know there's there's all sorts of like people and like things that are crumbling around him that remind him of his home as soon as Maul shows up, he's like, "Wait, what if that really is her? You know like just this he's so he's so freaked he's so fucked up so it's just it's just great having him at the center of this and seeing how screwed up everything gets because of him. And uh, I I think it's such a, a, a like a, a wonderful way to tell the story, especially since you get so much from him, and you get so much from from Leo, right? Who is like this suave con man, right? Oh, I have everything under control, <laughs> but uh, not at all, actually. It's it's not true. He's he's really got a re, he's really uh, got nothing figured out, and is unsure if he's even awake at this moment.
0: <laughs> he's he's got to con the like mark he's got a yeah. con the, the person who he's trying to steal their ideas from but he also is like conning his teammates into thinking that he's all there in exactly. his own mind um yeah and, and when i was thinking about cobb's role in this film i was thinking about like how you could have made a movie about a mind heist with share, share dreaming as the sci-fi concept that is the focus of the film and you could have made a pretty cool movie you have this team of interesting mind bandits each with their own specialty for this job they dive into the dream of the person they're stealing from things go wrong but you know in the end they get the goods right and they get out and I think I'd watch this movie maybe Guy Ritchie would direct it and everyone have British (laughs) accents but what makes Inception truly great is the emotional journey that we follow with Cobb, whose name is Dom Cobb, by the way, which is a ridiculous name. They don't even call him Dominic. It's just Dom Cobb. Or uh, Cobb,
1: yeah. Mr. Cobb or just yeah. Cobb, yeah. Mr.
0: Cobb is cool, but like, uh, you know, be named Steve or something. Um, which, again, I know that Dom is means something. means home, I think, in a bunch of different okay. kind of, like, languages. So it's like, he's trying to get home so it's all very clever that's Thank like you george much.
1: lucas level naming
0: right yeah uh, exactly <laughs> homer cobb could have been his name <laughs> but but underneath the scheme to intercept fisher is the repercussions of cobb's inception of his late wife maul you know he has not properly processed the trauma and the guilt he has for the way that she ended her life. And his success in this film isn't just being reunited with his kids and also the greatest country on the planet. It's also being able to move on from... Mall. She's this very interesting obstacle that makes it so this Inception scheme can't go as planned and she's a very fitting obstacle since she was created, this projection of Maul was created via Inception. So combine, combining the emotional plot with the actual mind heist that they're doing in Robert's mind uh, gives this movie a level of complexity uh, emotionally that rivals the complexity of the concept concept of inception itself
1: yes I also really like mall as this antagonist obstacle type thing it it is this it is a strange cop-out for uh Nolan to like not write an entire character, right? Just have like, oh, she's, she's like, you know, the wife and she's bad because, but she's only like half of who she used to be because she's only a projection of Cobb's mind, right? He is, she is the uh, personification of his own guilt and self doubt and um whatever else, right? And it, like, for that reason, he can have this person be in the movie without her having to be like this fully fledged, like, character um which is famously something that uh Christopher Nolan struggles with is writing women um so i i found that like it was kind of weird for him to be like i have to let you go right like i have to learn how to, to move on from you um, when she's like sitting right there but that's that's the power of this of this problem that he has right the pro- the power of his skill is that he can create this very realistic believable projection of his dead wife and keep her around inside of his mind um until he's tired of her right which is like this really strange way to look at it but it but it makes sense based on how Cobb acts right he doesn't uh, like arthur says Cobb spends a lot of time uh doing things he tells other people not to do yes (laughs) he's 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 you know made this terrible uh situation for himself and can't find his way out of it um and, you know, Maul as this personification of it is this really powerful, um, you know, uh, image uh, there. But of course, it's like it's it's hard not to blame him for the problem that he's also in. Right. Although like although Maul did take the step of framing him for her suicide or like for her murder and then committing suicide. I mean, like truly a, a one of the worst things you can do to your spouse. It's hard to think of a worse thing you could do to your spouse. Um <laughs> she is um she's only in this position because of him, right? She she got to this point because he incepted her with this idea of like reality not being real. Um this like classic psychological manipulation within a marriage, right? Where he's like, ah, my wife, she doesn't understand. So I'm gonna do this thing to uh, you know, trick her into into doing the thing I want her to do. Um and uh it, it obviously goes too far it makes this it makes a total fool out of him um yeah i i i find the like i find it sort of bothersome uh because it's this like because she is a woman and she has this um you know she's not she's a representation of an idea instead of this whole idea but she's not like uh either, like no no other women besides Ariadne uh play a role in the like heist at all, right? They don't seem to have any other sort of uh role within this world beyond being some sort of obstacle.
0: whoa, whoa what about the woman that Eames uh pretends to be? Uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: again, like she is she's simply a representation of something else, right? She is like a a personification of lust in a way, right? It so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I if I quite connected my thoughts there, but it's a um it is it is this like I feel like I find it problematic and I find it problematic that F- Cobb is able to forgive himself for what I am not sure I can forgive him for right it is not clear that he is um it's not clear that he's not guilty of, of her murder
0: Yeah um but I think this movie does kind of play this idea of uh what counts as real right um because the one of the things he clearly feels guilty for with Maul is not growing old with her. That was one of the things that the projection is constantly accusing him of is, you lied, yeah. you said we would grow old together, you promised me. You know, you. know ha- That's why you have to kill yourself now, so you can join me, so you can make good on the promise. And... You know, earlier when we see Yusuf's kind of like uh, senior home for the sleepy, uh, you know, he they, they make this argument that the people that are in there they're spending 40 like dream hours per day in the dream world. And he's like, they don't come here to sleep, they come here to wake up. And who are you to say that they're any different? And I feel like the key idea, and actually, I w- what I believe is the idea that, uh, Cobb is able to incept himself with is this idea that he did make good on that promise. He did grow old with mall when they were in limbo together, right? Because they weren't young when they got run over by the train, they were old. They were like senior citizens. So that I feel like is kind of the like, well, I've done all I can do. It's really not productive for me to continue to torment myself with this. Because in a way, we still got to have those things. What he did is terrible and everything like that. Um, and I don't know if you can say, like, he should not feel guilty at all anymore. But I, I felt like they came across with that idea pretty well to give us kind of that resolution to the guilt.
1: Certainly. No, I mean, that is true. And and the fact that he isn't sure himself whether or not he is responsible for what happened right he certainly does feel some responsibility i think it gives him some credibility as like a, a protagonist makes him more relatable uh but it is this it is this problem of um it, it is this problem that i think cobb can't solve for himself when you say like what is real right he's not entirely sure that he is in reality uh, that, that that for me was what was most clear on this watch through was that he's not it's not obvious to Cobb that he has actually woken up. And um, there's this hint, there's this like feeling or like this, um, this little like, you know, spark of an idea in the back of his mind that maybe Maul was right. And maybe there is another layer he has to get to. Right. And maybe he should follow her uh, in, to death.
0: Right. And I I guess um, that kind of gets you to like the final scene in the film where Cobb spins the top and then he walks out and says, you know, he greases kids and you ask yourself, is Cobb really back in the real world, you know? And um, when I was younger, I felt like this was a much more interesting question, you know, and people were like, oh, like, but did you notice this thing in the background? Like it wasn't there, which proves like this isn't reality or something. Oh, you did the wedding ring thing? I'm I'm literally just throwing stuff out there because this movie has so much in it that you can prove anything you want. Yeah. Really. You know, there's there you could say, you know, any number of reasons why you could come up with your own fan theory. But to me, I have no doubt that he's in the real world because for me that's like the emotional conclusion here is that Cobb is choosing his reality. He is saying I don't care what happens when I spin the top and this goes along with something that I think Christopher Nolan said is he's like the real meaning behind the final scene isn't does the stop does the top continue spinning or not it's Cobb doesn't care what happens to the top He has chosen that this is his reality and he's going to go be with his kids Um, I also loved this cheeky quote from michael Caine because people ask him the same question which of course they would because he's in the movie for three minutes so it would make sense <laughs> for him to be an authority on it and he says uh he goes if i'm there it's real because i'm never in the dream i'm the guy who invented the dream which i think is so pompous of michael <laughs> Caine to, to be like the movie's really about me and so if i'm there you know it's reality <laughs>
1: Yes, well, I mean, that that is an answer. It's certainly an answer. No, you're exactly right. And that was what was more clear to me this time than ever before was that, was not whether or not the top is going to topple, but where Cobb was in that scene. He ultimately makes the decision that this is the reality he wants to live in. This is the one that has his children in it. Um, And whether or not that's true or not is, uh, you know, um, uh, irrelevant, essentially. But, you know, it is telling that he would choose. Uh, you know, to to leave behind the idea of his wife, um, so that he can move on with his what he believes are his children. Right? If he truly was so cynical as to believe that he was still dreaming, then perhaps he would choose a different reality. Um, but in, in this one, he he certainly seems to have convinced at least himself.
0: So one of the criticisms I've heard of of Inception, or at least, at least that I heard. Back when this movie was newer and more people were discussing it publicly, it was that the, the explanation, this movie has too much explanation. It's too complex to be enjoyable. And I totally disagree. I, I'm sure most Inception enjoyers disagree, but I think this movie actually does a really good job of explaining things without making it tiring. Because shared dreaming is a decently complex concept, but the way we're introduced to it is fast and fun. We learn so much from the opening sequence alone just by experiencing shared dreaming. Um, One of the, there was like a uh, Reddit ask Reddit. I think I saw recently that was like, uh, what is the best opening scene in movies? And uh, like one of the top voted ones was the opening of inglorious bastards, which Mm. I definitely agree is a great opening scene, but I think that inception has a pretty great opening scene. I don't know about best of all time, but there. I feel like it does such a great job of getting you into the movie and kind of introducing you to some of the major concepts that's going on there. Much like in a real dream, or dropped straight into the middle of the action. We don't know how we got there, but we're just there. And then we go from there and we're shown a lot instead of having it explained to us, which gives us a foundation for the rest of the film but showing can only get us so far we have to be told a lot of things in order to understand what's going on that's just the nature of the beast that we're dealing with we are going to need to be told some stuff so thankfully we have ariadne to stand in for the audience as the student in the world of shared dreaming and that's a great excuse to have things plainly stated by the other characters and I'm sure there are things to nitpick about how the movie spends too much time explaining things or how some things that are explained <laughs> don't make sense. I've definitely seen like the YouTube takedown of inception that points out that the everything wrong staircase, with inception. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, it?
1: Where's my, the, but, where's my bell?
0: Right, yes. The uh, the endless staircase paradox doesn't make sense. Why would Arthur say paradox to a projection before <laughs> dropping him off? You know, like that. But uh, I don't care about those things. This explanation sequences are worth it because learning how this world works is fun.
1: Yes, I completely agree with you. This movie is very similar to Tenet, but this movie succeeds so much more uh than tenant does because the concept is easier to grasp the effects are cooler and the it stacks on on itself in a way that's really easy like to comprehend and to like to work out you can continually use this mechanic over and over again and just make it more and more extreme and then you tweak the rules here and there and you won't lose the audience but tenant like it's it doing very something very similar, right? It's using some sort of movie making technique uh, where it's it's uh, um, you know playing things in reverse instead of slowing them down, and then it's uh, uh, it has all this explanation about how it works and what's going on. But like when you when you watch two people. One person's going backwards, and another person's going forwards. It just gets so confusing about like <laughs> what I'm supposed to be caring about, what's going on, and who's where, and and what they're doing, and how does one thing end up to to there? Right? It, you you lose complete track of of what's going on. Whereas Inception does a so much better job of just taking you for, through the ride, getting you to where you want to go, and you know picking you up a little bit as you go along. Right? And I feel like the explanations do a really good job of that. Right? And this is like. I saw this on wikipedia this is like a staple of the heist genre is the constant explanation and exposition right which is why nolan like chose this as uh, like chose that as like the primary genre um for this movie is so that he had an excuse to constantly be explaining what's going on what's happening next what's the plan what's 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 going what's going through you're right it is fun to like learn all this stuff and try to figure out um what they're going to do next in and the and the opening sequence with like the dream within the dream sets up like the rest of the story in such a beautiful way um, without it being this like thing you have to hold on to later, right? Like, Oh, later in the dream, later in the movie, we're going to have dreams within dreams, you know, not just people infiltrating dreams, right? No, like have that at the beginning, you you have that initial like serotonin of like of that extra twist right there and then go deeper and further and faster at the end right have them uh through four layers of dreams have it all uh stack on top of each other and have like this elaborate piece all these elaborate pieces that you have to move through um and constant callbacks to effects and uh tricks and everything else right i feel, i feel like that's so brilliant it, you're exactly right it's like this perfect encapsulation at the beginning of the movie of what of what's going on and the other thing is it doesn't make you feel stupid you know when you're when you're when you're being, when the, uh, when the target is being tricked, right, is saying, oh, you're in a dream, you, the audience are also in that, also being tricked, right, but you're also on the other side, you're also the guy that's being, uh, that's doing the tricking, right, and you're like, oh, man, this guy's so much smarter than I realized, like, he, I'm on his team, you know, it it is this, it, it, it doesn't uh, rely on this idea of, like, of, like, hidden knowledge so much, as much as it's just like, okay, we're going to get, uh, we're going to show you all the pieces we have here slowly over time and, and give you this catharsis of like, oh, our, our plan is so brilliant. Our, 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 our protagonists are so clever and resourceful.
0: Right, it's um, it's similar to the like uh, the difference between surprise and suspense. Like we're gonna sure. let you know that there's multiple dream levels here, but what result will that yield? As opposed to waiting to the end and being like, you better believe the whole thing was a dream. You know? Yeah, like that's- exactly.
1: No, it's, it's that perfect because as soon as you um exit the movie theater, right, and you see the top spinning, it gives you that same like thing like oh it 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 has you know it's it's a connect the dots thing and there's only one dot left and for you to make it from one thing to the other and be like wait it's the whole thing inside of a dream and you feel super clever because you figured that out you know even though most of it's already been mapped out for you you're you're not you're not like uh aware of that that's something that i I sort of admire about this movie is is like you said earlier it's not that complicated or really that deep. but it gives the illusion of it because so much is skipped. There's all these little pieces of like, okay, now Cobb is going to break into the window. You know what this thing does, right? You put it on the window and he spins it around and he gets to the window. He doesn't have to show any of that. He just shows you putting it on the window and moving forward, right? And so many, like there's so many implications and just like uh, pieces that go from point A to point B without having to show you because you understand how like a dream works or how a movie works. And you're rewarded for that by, continuing on it's not trying to trick you it's not trying to it's not like oh you missed this part back here because we didn't show it to you it, it's just playing with this like idea of like uh i'll show you something simple and then we'll move to the next thing and you have to fill in the gaps right and you get used to doing that and it makes you feel like you're a part of the movie it brings you further in and it also makes you feel like you're smart because you're figuring out what's going on um even though like Everything is told to you multiple times so that you don't miss
0: it. (laughs) Right. And also, a lot of the stuff is intuitive. It's stuff that is true of dreaming. And who does, who dreams? Most of us, I Uh assume. You know, so when they say stuff like, you know, you always start in the middle of a dream, you're like, you know, you are Leonardo DiCaprio from in once, upon uh, a time uh, in in once Upon a Time Yeah, you're sitting there like, yes, yes, I've done that before. I've had that dream. Or you know, you you wake up because you're tipping. I don't know how much people tip in their dreams, but all that stuff feels so like that's what it would be, right? It's not yeah. that much of a leap in your logic for you to line these things up, which is so different from Tenet, where you're like, I've never gone backwards. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> this makes no sense to me. If anything, this is the opposite yeah, I, of I, everything I understand
1: who's like going backwards before right like i've never <laughs> shot a gun backwards or, you know anything like that yeah
0: right none of this like so I, again i th- i feel like that's a big part uh, that kind of um, makes it make sense but because you have so much explanation you also have so much ammunition for like potentially poking holes in the plot or maybe not even poking holes but you know finding the correct answer based on logic sure. so i do want to kind of get into a, a couple of uh like w- what actually happened or some questions that i have before that though i just want to jump way back we we're talking about sato and like him being kind of the driving force for the like main conflict which is the robert fisher inception of of course but the thing is he's saying that his company is so small they're the number two power in like energy production and right. they're so small they can't compete with the fisher empire right like if the fisher empire continues to grow then it's just curtains for sato but sato is rich enough that he can just buy a whole airline on a whim an international airline on a whim yes. which um makes me think that maybe the Fisher empire is an existential threat. Like maybe they have, if they dwarf Sato's power, then how powerful are they? You know, is, They've uh, bought three airlines. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, who knows the things that they're able to buy uh, or, or impact there. Cause when, when Sato, I forgot that Sato said that, but I like was watching inception with my girlfriend and we both like laughed when Sato <laughs> was like, I bought the, airline." We're like, what? what (laughs) that's that's so ridiculous um but that's just you know that's the power that he has so i honestly think you could lean into that and be like this is a this is a world-ending possibility it's just hard for me to believe that honestly you (laughs) know it's just silly it's like uh it's way too much like uh emphasis on corporate power Um, Okay,
1: well, I don't want to ruin your questions because I do want to answer them, but I will say that one of the other things this movie is very clever about is that it is about dreams and dreams don't make sense. Um, They don't have like a clever, like one of my favorite moments from this movie is when they are you know, uh, Cobb is pretending to be Mr. Charles, right? He's he's claiming to Fisher that he's um, part of the dream security team, right? And he's like, and then Peter Browning comes into the room, and um, and Cobb's like, "Look, he was going to get into your dreams. You know, he's the one infiltrating your dreams. Now we have to do the same thing to him." And Fisher's like yeah okay that makes sense it's like no it doesn't it makes no sense at all like you have to jump into someone like someone's trying to dream uh dream step to you you have to dream step them back like no dream steps no no dream step backs you know like it's so funny but like that makes sense in a dream when someone's like yeah we have to do this you're like yeah okay yeah definitely this is the thing we're gonna do and yes you're just like along for the ride and that's like that's what's so great about this movie is that it does feel like a dream you know and I mean, I think we're going to talk about the, the, the similarities between dreams and movies and how like they, they really are like, uh, watching a movie in a theater or watching a movie with other people is similar to having a shared dream experience. Um, but this movie like embodies that in so many ways. And one of the ways is that it doesn't have to like have everything line up perfectly. You have this escape hatch there, right? I know you love that sort of thing. Uh yes. like this diegetic little like little a <laughs> uh, little, uh, little uh skeleton key that you can slot into any problem and be like, but it's a dream. It's a dream. <laughs> Got it, gotcha. <laughs>
0: yes which um i definitely err on that side i'm like i'm happy to have inception be uh not have to be airtight for it to be enjoyable or for it to be intelligent or smart or whatever um but i do also like asking questions because i feel like this movie does answer a lot of them um if you pay attention or if you can find the evidence for it so first my theory is that there's three inceptions that go on in this film number one Maul needs to kill herself to return to reality. That was Cobb's original Inception, the proof that Inception's possible. Um, inception number two, Robert Fisher needs to dissolve his father's empire. That's the one that we see happen in the actual movie. And then Inception number three, Cobb did keep his promise of growing old with Maul, and it's okay for him to move on without her. Uh, that third one, I feel like is the most tenuous of the three, but I kind of want to like z- like zero in on each one. So the first one, Maul needs to kill herself to return to reality. Did Cobb do something physical to do that? Did he literally break into a safe and touch her, like, top? And that <laughs> was him inception? Touched her, her top? <laughs> or. Gave her some top? Was that. Was it what was shown to us? Or was that a metaphor for him <laughs> explaining to her that she needed to kill herself? Or does so, that even matter?
1: I think that it has to be this subtle. Um, non, like indirect action, right? I that's what Arthur says at the beginning of the movie when he's explaining Inception to Sato. Right? He's right. like, you can't just tell someone something because they'll know what it is and they have every reason to doubt you. Right? You have to make it seem like they came up with the idea themselves. When um, Cobb is, you know, infiltrating her or her childhood home and then breaking into Mall's secret mind safe and then spinning the top this is a metaphor in like you know probably the most basic of like reasoning but i was always under the impression that if the top if you're in a dream the top always spins and i don't know why right i don't know if you have to concentrate on the top to make it spin right or like if you have that kind of power in a dream or if it's a certain thing about this top that like it 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 spins for a really long time but then like you know, it's not going to, um, uh, you know, so the, the laws of physics work differently in a dream for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know why the top spins, but I do think that it makes sense to, uh, if you were to look at it from Ma's perspective, right? She, for whatever reason, goes back to the safe and finds the top spinning inside of it, even though she left it in there without it spinning right? Or it had stopped spinning when she left. Um, this would uh, trigger in her mind, you know, that something is wrong, that she doesn't, she is not in reality, right? And um, it would. I mean, this could be, it could go even further than that, which is perhaps it stopped spinning for her, and now it's spinning on its own. And that means she can't use it as a totem in the other le- dream layers, right. So even though she's spinning it, uh, you know, down in limbo, it's not. It's stopping for her because she's still. She thinks she's like actually in right. reality,
0: right. right? And then someone else. That's why you can't let someone else touch your totem because then they can influence it or something, and that would ruin right. The that's whole the purpose.
1: implication here, right? So like that was. That's what I always imagined happening was that Mall somehow went back to the safe, found the st- the top spinning, and thought that. And he came to the conclusion on her own. Never questioned whether Cobb had interfered with it um, at all.
0: Right. Got it. Okay. So that's that's number one. Then, you know, number two, uh, Fisher needs to dissolve his father's empire. We get to see that one very clearly. I think that the whole having the Peter tell him stuff because of what was kind of uh, supplied to him on the first level makes a lot of sense. And then... um like having him find that photograph inside the safe with the the will like i felt like that that was more or less plainly spelled out uh and we get we understand why he comes to that conclusion and then the third one i'm kind of interjecting this one i'm not sure if anybody else uh like is calling this an inception but it happened down in the dream world Cobb talking to his projection of maul where he's able to uh you know come to like overcome the guilt of having incepted Maul and in, like causing her death or having a hand in the thing that caused her death. Uh, and, and like, that's like a powerful idea that catches hold in his subconscious that's allowing him to move on in his real life and accept his children and like accept will, his life on a reality. I,
1: I will grant you all of that, but one thing. Um, where does the idea come from if it doesn't come from Cobb?
0: I guess it would be Ariadne cause her, Ariadne her,
1: makes that, like she like plants that idea. Well, she somehow. starts,
0: yeah, she starts talking about that. Um, before they even go into the dream, she's like, "You have to confront this," and then, uh, like basically, that's her purpose. Although she's the architect, she's the. <laughs> emotional support character for Cobb <laughs> constantly constantly confronting him about his problems and borderline forcing him to to deal with it. She even shoots small So yes. really it's not Cobb incepting himself if anything it's Ariadne incepting him to uh you know move beyond this.
1: Um yeah, okay. I I just don't think that's any different than like Talking to someone, you know what I mean. I agree. I agree. So it's not really Inception if it's so direct, right? And if Cobb, if Cobb came to this conclusion on his own, you know, or like through Ariadne's thing, then it is what Arthur claims is impossible to fake, which is pure inspiration,
0: right? So I guess is Inception just making someone think they thought of it?
1: Inception has got to be a like I want to say sinister, but like secret and um. Uh, maybe maybe uh, is not the right word but like it's it's got to be this um organized like uh attempt to change someone's mind without them realizing that you're doing it
0: deceiving someone into thinking that they change their own mind that's the word i'm
1: looking for it is deception whether or not it's for good or evil is not is you know up to you but it is deception got it
0: then I would agree with you because it was her explicit stated goal to help him deal with this, (laughs) Um, but it is an emotional catharsis. I'll I'll settle on that. Um, But it it does. um, But I think that settles me on those three specific inceptions. Now let's move on to another question I have. If you die in limbo, do you wake up no matter what? Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I can't answer this question. I have no freaking clue how limbo works. They're just like, (laughs) limbo! And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm... (laughs) when i'm 16 i'm sitting there at the movie theater like thinking about uh you know the party game with the stick <laughs> and, and uh beach music playing you know like limbo what are they talking about here you go into um, limbo like, whoa you like start whoa, leaning backwards I'm, oh I'm, no i'm leaning over very far <laughs> i'm in limbo
0: i don't know why they i don't
1: know why those two things share that roots like i don't know why <laughs> limbo the game is also limbo the like uh, extra i'll player, tell you why because the, the game place.
0: of limbo is structureless people cheat all the time and get away with it <laughs> just because they're they're actually That's oh they did it they even though they lean sideways or, or like okay. crouch yeah i've i too many games of limbo at the roller skating rink i'm i'm totally black pilled on do limbo you remember
1: um the very first episode the pilot episode of uh the grim Ver- adventures of billy and mandy where they play limbo with the Grim reaper, grim reaper.
0: No, I don't remember the. <laughs> that's pilot how they get. That's Billy how they Man. get in the
1: situation. They play limbo with the Grim Reaper. It's
0: this. It's pretty funny. Does actually. Billy's nose hit the pole. I, I like can't. Be- I
1: think it does. I can't <laughs> remember exactly. Somehow, Grim cheats or does something, and Billy and Mandy calls him out on a technicality, and that's how they get locked into to this <laughs> like forever. Uh, situation anyway i'm stalling because i don't have to answer your question Um, that's fine
0: no and that's fine and i like i'm willing to accept that as an answer i just felt like um it was a little bit confusing that uh robert actually dies he gets shot it's not that he went to sleep he died and then combining his like falling off of the building with him getting uh electrocuted with the whatever you call that the resuscitation the, the dream defibrillator D- yeah really the defibrillator, love, that's they're right.
1: like oh we're in a dream let me grab my defibrillator over here
0: <laughs> right <laughs> and he's able to come back um <gasps> and uh the i guess the the reason i asked that question though is when Cobb, it, when anybody gets trapped in limbo, do they have to stay there for that long amount of time? Because what if Cobb had just said, it's okay? Like, listen, if you die, you go to structureless limbo. But kill yourself there and you'll come right back. That could have saved Sato a hell of a lot of time. I know. Cause that's what he, that's what's implied that he tells Sato to do once he gets down there. Right. Right. He gets, he's like, come back he with me. Gun, and he has the gun. Right? And he
1: has the gun. And they're both fingering the gun, you know, yes. as if like they're going to shoot each other or themselves or whatever. Right. Yeah. And they both wake up, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And then that's, isn't that how mall and Cobb also escape limbo as they yes. lay down in front of a train. So, yes. um, Yeah, I. It seems like if you kill yourself in limbo,
0: you come back.
1: I don't really understand how that's how how that is different than just the dream space, right? Other than it's like technically infinite because it's like so many, you know, so many levels down. But like, well, that's
0: the other thing too. Is limbo is also just dream level four,
1: right? Right, (laughs)
0: because if you go to sleep in level three, you go to you go to level four, which is the limbo. So yeah,
1: um, like uh, then I was thinking maybe like you. if you're if you're in limbo then if you die in limbo you just end up back in limbo, right maybe that's how that works I don't know
0: it maybe because well, because then what happens to Cobb if Cobb shows up with Sato and he's like, okay come back, shoot yourself does Cobb have to wait another fifty years for himself to be able to leave limbo it's just it's not no very because clear. like
1: the the because there's like two different ways to leave right you can be woken up naturally when the sedative wears off right and you like come to or you can end the dream early with a kick or with your own death inside of the dream right i guess that's three different things so that like either it's external where it's like either you wake up naturally or you get woken up by someone outside or inside of the dream something happens that ends the processing part of that of your, your brain and uh sends you up a level because you're not um you're no longer able to participate uh, uh <laughs> well
0: because because uh. let me throw another wrench in here because when everybody else leaves um like when all the kicks are happening simultaneously and everyone else wakes up in the van th- there's uh like you can see them sharing the oxygen tank and ariadne goes to like unbuckle um Or, sorry, not Ariadne. um, Arthur goes to unbuckle Cobb, but very subtly. Like, honestly, you have to be looking for it. Ariadne, like, taps him on the back to, like, stop him from doing that. And then they go up without Cobb. And then outside of the water, she explains that Cobb stayed behind, right? So Cobb is still in limbo, which is a place that he got to by going to sleep sleep in level three, which has now fallen apart. So just, like, gone conceptually or just like that dream level yeah. is gone so does that mean he went back up to dream level one and why are there kicks died? At every level
1: why are there kicks at every level why don't they just wake him up in the plane why do well, they have if you get woken up okay so if you get a kick at level one but you're currently in level three what happens to you you're in it, a doesn't, dream it within- doesn't reach you they do that they show that it doesn't reach you, so you don't. So you're not able to wake up
0: because you missed the kick. Because you have to do both kicks at the same time. Yeah, you need to do the one on your level and the level above.
1: Well, you don't have to do them at the same time, right? You could do one one right after the
0: other. Right. Well, they, they have to be synchronized. They have to be. That's synchronized. why they do the music. Because remember when the 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 van goes off the side of the. Yeah the bridge they're like we missed the kick so like we're stuck down here and he's like but we if we can time it up with the van hitting the water then we'll be okay so it seems to me that like the kicks under the sedative because without the sedative, all you have to do is do the kick on the top level, and then you wake up. Um, but with the sedative, you have to time them both. Uh, but hold on, but we're ge- I feel like we're okay. getting really stuck in the nitty gritty, which is not my intention. Um, I just wanted <laughs> yeah, to point I'm out. Really, I'm getting really tired of this. My brain yes, is starting to I, and I can only imagine how exhausting this is to listen to, but, <laughs> but I guess what I wanted to point out is that Cobb was already in limbo, but then like his body on the third level is seemingly gone, right? so probably dead, right. his body on the second level would have been hit by the kick, who knows if that really hits or not, and and then sure. his body on the first level is left underwater, which eventually would kill it. So did he stay in limbo or did he shoot back up, and drown, and then go all the way back down <laughs> to limbo? I don't know how that works because he washes up on Sato's Right. Okay, uh, Yeah, you're right. Because right. he
1: could just sure. die at level, one, at level one and end yes. up back in limbo anyway.
0: My theory is that Ooh. he actually comes back, goes all the way back up to level one, stays underwater, drowns, and then goes back down. And in the time it took him to do all that, Sato aged by like 40 years. Uh, and, then and that's, that's, why, that's, he's where like, he that's shows why he's like,
1: that's why he's like all wet and disheveled when he yes, Not just because he washed up on the shore, but because he actually drowned.
0: Yes. Because a week okay. on level one is a decade on level three. So imagine right. what a few moments on level one are in level four right Right, like i think that i think that's actually what's implied with them leaving him in the van
1: that actually makes a lot of sense
0: okay i like that so Yeah. Okay. So I'll leave it at that. Let's move on (laughs) from (laughs) Um, (laughs) the moment of uh, like realization and move on to this next one. So when they're trying to break out of like the empty warehouse that they're in on level one, the like Arthur is there sniping with this guy who's like behind the telephone uh, uh, transformers, and Eames goes like, "You must, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bit bigger, darling." And he like shoots the grenade launcher. And, um, my girlfriend asked me a question I thought was very valid. She was like, did he like, where did he get the grenade launcher? Did he like ask for the architect to put it in the warehouse or did he just dream it up right there? And then if that's how they do it, why didn't they dream up other stuff to make their lives easier? So like who can build stuff while you're dreaming? Cause we also never see Ariadne do her like good world construction thing during the actual mission. No. That only happens in the training stuff.
1: Right. Well, she does it before the um, the everything happens. Right. That all those dreamscapes have been created prematurely, and that's why they're they're like ready to go. And assuming that she's the one who constructed them.
0: Right. Um, So is it like a file that's saved, like a you know level one dot? Maybe there's some sort of
1: memory technique you can do that's like really good with you know it helps you memorize. Well,
0: because I would imagine that it's like she designs it, but then each dreamer is responsible for making it happen. Right, they right. have to dream it.
1: That makes sense. So they're all like working on it together. I so um, it, I so assume it seems- that they can. I assume they can bring stuff from their own dreams, uh, or they can they can create stuff in the dream because uh, Cobb is bringing in Mall and freight trains and stuff, right? And his kids subconsciously, uh, I, 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 subconsciously, true. But I think that it's possible. Like, it impl- there's an implication that it's that you could do that yourself if you knew what you were
0: doing right so another thing that sato i'm thinking of this right now sato says but if you're in my dreams we play by my rules so i wonder if the dreamer has that uh, like kind of god power and i wonder if just off screen eames is like yusuf like give me a rocket launcher real quick i'm about to totally dunk on Mm. arthur um which i guess you could use to explain it away but that's really underutilized in my opinion Um, maybe it's really hard
1: to make complex machines maybe you have to like know them
0: you know maybe (laughs) yeah yeah. it's like my thing is
1: rocket launchers and i'm just or like you know rpgs and i'm going to uh you know that's one of the things i have in my arsenal i'm just gonna you know i can imagine one of those and bring it into any dream i go into
0: fair enough because he also is able to change his appearance inexplicably so it could no one else seems to be able to do that a dream technique thing um yeah which you know i was thinking about what if inception was made today and i know it's not really a nolan thing to be like Oh this movie did good. Let me make another movie that's just like it. But like I was tempted to be like oh what if there was like an inception verse, you know, where it's like there's all these dream guys, you know, and there's all these uh, there's other people with superpowers inside well, it'd be of cool, dreams. Well, like, they call it as a and- video
1: game, right? Like you could play different mm-hmm. parts where like you could be an architect and build a dreamscape and you have to like it could be like a hitman type mission, right, where you have to get from point A to point B. And do some sort of task without people finding you. And without you, like, the, the mark
0: waking up. Different too.
1: characters have different loadouts, right? But you could also like come up with new loadouts yourself if you like, un- you know, do a special mission and you discover some special uh, sword or something. You can now bring that into any dream you come with, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know.
0: But I also think that Inception did it really well because they give you like a default mission and you see it fail, right? Because they don't succeed with Sato. And then they're like, okay, what if we did the ultimate mission where we turn every setting up to the max, you know, sedatives, more levels than anyone else has ever attempted. Militarized projections. Right, and it's the last one. Yeah. No, no more. This no more missions after this because right. this is the one that solves everything. So I felt like that was really good. Um, no, no real temptation to, uh, you know, have the inception verse. Um, Cobb, we need you to uh, come back. Cob- like, you- it turns out you were in a dream, Cobb, tr- and like it turns
1: out that t- and you you incepted so good that we need you to incept someone else. Yeah. We need you incept the president this time.
0: Michael Caine is just a projection of your imagination.
1: You've been in a tube this whole time. This has been a test to see if you can incept people. And now we're going to bring you to the real world where you can incept them even better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please no. Okay. Um, (laughs) Let's uh, move on to our cool Easter eggs. Joey, what do you got for us?
1: I got a bunch. Um, Ariadne, uh, her name is based off a Cretan princess. Um, who helped Theseus escape the Minotaur uh, in uh, ancient Greek mythology. Uh, so she was like a constructor and, uh, you know, master of the labyrinth and um, was a uh, aided Theseus in his uh, fight against the Minotaur. So that's why she is called that, which is pretty cool. Um, the, the shots where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fighting a uh, stunt man in the hallway was all done practically. They built this incredible um uh simulated hotel room. Um and it's like it's basically it's the size that you see in the in the movie, maybe like a little bit bigger than that, and it's on this giant these giant like rotating wheels, um, and it just spins uh uh throughout. And they actually had two of these. They made two identical ones, one that they could enter vertically and one they were, were able to uh, enter horizontally. And the vertical one they used with like wires and stuff to like make it seem like they were floating, and then the other one they actually spun and had them like fighting in the in the thing. Apparently, Joseph Gordon Levitt did his own stunts in this and trained for months to get this right. It looks really really amazing, and all the lighting is all in camera, so all the sconces and lighting fixtures and stuff is are the lights that they used for the shot, uh, which is amazing. And um, they actually had hidden dolly tracks in the carpet if you look at the carpet it's vertical like vertical stripes or yeah like stripes like yeah yeah away from you and apparently some of those stripes were dolly tracks that um uh, they used so they could pan in to the room and, and out and everything amazing uh that's one incredible of the, one of the like craziest things I've ever seen made for a movie uh nolan specifically credits stanley kubrick's um you know, rotating sets uh, that he made for two thousand one as like inspiration and like, um, you know, as kind of the model for for what was possible inside of this movie. The other thing that they used, which uh, I had not like seen before or at least never noticed before, was these um, uh, seesaw devices that would simulate weightlessness. So instead of being hung from the ceiling, they would you would like s- sit or lay on top of them. And then somebody else would sit on the other side as a counterbalance and they could use it to make it look like you were weightless, essentially, by like just kind of sitting there and like moving around, Um, which was which is cool. It makes it easy to get into tight spaces. They actually use that in Interstellar as well. Um, The other thing that was like the extra level of detail for this was the costuming, Um, like everyone's uh, clothes were made in such a way or stitched in such a way to make it so they wouldn't fall with the gravity of the shot so like
0: ah. people's like uh
1: shoelaces and their uh pant legs and all that stuff were all made or stitched in a specific way to keep the folds as if they were you know weightless um yeah this, this is really cool i watched uh this short video on youtube um uh, from this channel that said how they shot it I, I don't know that's not the channel's name but that's the series name um the channel name is um where is it the channel name is uh studio blinder or st- st- sorry studio binder uh how has christopher nolan shot the iconic deception highway fight uh which i will link to uh, it's really cool um and it has all that interesting stuff in there
0: yeah um, the kubrick uh I- inspiration was very clear there and just like with kubrick it- it's amazing to see it's super I mean, cool you know so in, amazing. like
1: i you know i felt like I, this movie has lost a little bit of its magic to for me because I was trying to like pay close attention to the plot. But like as Joseph Gordon-Levitt is running along the side of this thing and fighting this guy, and he's like falling into the elevator and stuff. It's just amazing. It's just like what is like how could they even how do they even practice doing this? It's so crazy. Um, Christopher Nolan has said that the snow based th- third dream level was inspired by his favorite James Bond movie on her Majesty's secret service um this was funny to me because this is exactly what my parents said after they saw inception they're like this movie reminds me of james bond (laughs) it's like yeah (laughs) all of the snowmobile fighting and everything is is so james bond um that that uh fact and all the rest of these i all got from imdb um, well,
0: Eames definitely went James Bond mode with how he was just mowing down oh man, yeah. hordes of the you know, goons. so-called militarized, uh, yeah, subconscious. if you want to call it, it's like, uh, you know, kind of um, like militarized, uh, you know, radicals who just find guns and then decide that they are a military. Uh they they were not very uh, organized or good at what they did. Uh, in fact, it took maul showing up for anyone on this militarized squad to land a bullet. And
1: even even like she showing up, it also took Cobb hesitating to for her to succeed, you know? She <laughs> yes. was still in his line of sight, so. Yeah. Um this one was is uh ridiculous. Um if you take the first letters of the main characters' names, uh Dom, Robert, Eames, Arthur, Maul, and Sato, they spell dreams. If you add Peter, Ariadne, and Yusuf, the whole makes dreams pay, which is what they do. Uh, in the movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if you take Maul, Arthur, and Dom, that spells mad, which is I is what I am about that that Easter egg.
1: <laughs> oh, you don't like anagrams? You hate anagrams? No. The
0: implication here is that it's intentional. Yeah, I know. It's so
1: silly. <laughs> Um, when, when explaining why he thinks implanting an idea is not possible, Arthur says, don't think about elephants to actually make Sato think about them and, and thus insert an idea into his mind. The line is a reference to the title of a famous cognitive semantics book, Don't Think of an Elephant by George Lakoff. The book describes conceptual framing and uses and the use of certain words to insert certain ideas about a subject into the listener's mind serendipitously. Uh, implanting the idea that taxes are bad or bad thing by using the phrase tax relief now this is a fascinating thing from focus groups about like what they use to uh you know help or not help but uh to convince people that certain policies are bad by um you know giving them certain labels uh this is something that frank lutz famously famously has done um so yeah and and i've heard this technique before you ever heard of the mind palace uh like the uh, so basically, it's this idea of um, you, you imagine a large room or anything like, or maybe a large building uh, in your mind. And each room in the building represents a different thing that you want to remember. And there's different pieces or furniture in the room that represents different concepts or specific things, right? And so what you do is you populate your mind palace with Things you want to remember, and then when you try to remember things, you walk through the mind palace in your mind and go to the room, and the thing is there. And apparently, this is a very effective way of memorizing things. Uh, yeah, actually,
0: a- my mom introduced me to this concept when I was a kid, and she used to challenge me to memorize the grocery list. And we would go to the grocery store, and I would—it was—I didn't build a whole palace. I could only ever do a room, but yeah. I could—I could, I could um, reliably remember twenty items. Uh, because I had a spot for each item in the room, and then like after that grocery list is done, I could clear it and put new items in the room, and reliably find them once we got to the store. Which I th- I think it's a great device for remo- remembering literal things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't really good for ideas or like concepts or like well, studying that's for. The, a That's test. kind of the
1: idea here with what what he's talking about with don't think of, of an elephant is like you package an idea inside of a word, right? And so when you think of that word, you it comes with this entire concept that triggers this whole, uh, you know, uh, sort of like a um, a zip file on a computer, right? It's like you you bring it in and you can expand it into whatever was inside of it. Um, yeah, it's an interesting idea. I, it's something I've never really experimented with personally, but it's uh, um, certainly relevant for this movie. Um, I saw this. I could not confirm this. It sounded really weird, uh, but it's. That it's too fun not to share cable <laughs> listings for this movie show the runtime as two days nine hours and 14 minutes which is the length of time it would take to watch um it, it, if you if watched in the dream world um i guess multiplied uh out this is how long you would have in the dream world if you slept through the entirety of inception <laughs> um, <laughs> which yeah i don't know if this is true or not but it was it's certainly interesting and then the movie's runtime, two hours and 28 minutes, is a reference to the original length of the Edith uh, Piaf song, Non Je Ne Regrette Nen, which lasts on its first recorded edition, two minutes and 28 seconds.
0: And um, apparently that translated into English, the name of that song translated into English is No, I Don't Regret Anything, or No, I, I Regret Nothing, essentially, uh, which I think is fitting because... That's kind of Cobb's final state. uh, Um, Maybe is like to get beyond regret.
1: My favorite, one of my favorite things about this movie is how that song is used as sort of a sample for the score uh, in the rest of the movie. It's a slowed down version of that song is what Hans Zimmer then scores the rest of the of the of the soundtrack to. Um, The the kind of blah like the long kind of like deep notes is actually the um the music from the song and uh i never picked up on that before i read some article about it a long time ago uh but when i was watching it this time i noticed that that song when it's played at an upper level and then bleeds down into a lower level sort of starts to distort and become longer and like more like um you know uh ominous as the as the movie goes on which is really cool so it feels like a a very purposeful and indirect um, thing that they're trying to do and not just some kind of cool thing that Hans Zimmer was uh, experimenting with.
0: Yeah. The, the, the sounds, I mean, this movie has so many cool things, but I, I think the, the use of the music is, is a really important part of it as well. Um, I only have one, Uh, Easter egg for us, but it's uh, this one right here. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, writer, producer, and director Christopher Nolan explained that he based roles of the Inception team similar to roles that are used in filmmaking. Cobb's the director, Arthur is the producer, Ariadne is the production designer, Eames is the actor, Sato is the studio, and Fisher is the audience. He said, uh, quote, in trying to write a team-based creative process, I wrote the one I know. So I thought thought that was pretty cool, especially because this movie is kind of like, uh, yeah, like we were talking about is kind of a um, metaphor for film in general. So um, pretty cool stuff. Definitely. All right, Joey, I think you know what time it is. It's time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper.
1: And uh, in order to do that, I think we'll have to listen to the podcast that's inside my mind. Uh, Benjamin here. I have this long cord that will reach oh, to okay. you. You're
0: just yeah, right.
1: spooling here. If you hook this up, uh, you know, this to you, I'll also plug it in here. Okay. Welcome
0: to Empty Space, the podcast inside Joey's head. Wow, there's not much going on in here. Echo. Echo. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me direct you to this. Um, so
1: I was when I was doing research for Inception. I was thinking about dreams, and I wanted to know what is a dream exactly, and why do we dream? Um, there's a lot of... This is one of those things, right? The mind, it's a mystery. Nobody knows how it works. Nobody knows what the things do inside of our brains. We have a better understanding of the different pieces of the brains, but <clears throat> it's largely like this uh, um, uh, process of trial and error, trying to be like, okay, if we do this to you, what part of the brain lights up, you know, when they, uh, they met, when they were studying people who people's dreams, they found all sorts of interesting things. One of the things is that it is used. Dreaming is used as a way of processing information. It's, they did this experiment where, um, they had a bunch of people trying to solve a maze and uh each person i think individually was solving the maze and then they told everyone to take a break Uh, some of the people were just like you know did something else and other people were asked to take a nap the people that napped and then dreamed about the maze when they woke up they were 10 times more likely to solve the maze they were way better at it um, than the people who hadn't dreamed about it or had done something else which proves that like dreaming is this processing uh like device right you when you're dreaming and thinking about something from your life you're also you're still thinking about it um and and perhaps will make connections that you weren't doing before but other than that it's not clear exactly what the role of dreaming does beyond it's like super important um for example if you have uh if you are unable to dream for some reason, if you have some sort of problem with your REM cycle in your sleep, uh, you're more likely to have some sort of anxiety or mental disorder uh, diagnosed with you later uh, because you're unable to essentially deal with the problems of your life inside of your brain. And one of the other theories is like uh, you during the dream period your brain is sorting the stuff that it wants to keep from the stuff that it wants to get rid of um and like as you're experiencing those memories again you um uh what you uh it, they become they get moved to a different part of your brain and in fact the me- remembering things uh it plays a similar role to dreaming it lights up the same part of your brain and uh, one of the things that is true about memory is that memories emotions uh do not have the same weight to them as they do the actual experience so when you dream of a traumatic experience it is a way of processing that experience in a safe environment one where the emotions of the experience are dulled um and therefore it's easier when you recall it later because it's been moved into that memory space for you to accept and deal with it um so it's this uh this is a really complicated process. Obviously, it uses a lot of different pieces of the brain, and it and uh, although it's not exactly clear like what all of it does, or if your dreams like mean anything, it is this. It is this. Um, uh, you know, it is this process that is necessary for for humans to do. One of the other theories is that uh, people interpret dreams in a certain way, but the uh, interpretations are largely made up after you wake up uh you are given a bunch of um, images and you are you know they're all random and then when you when you're in the process of waking you assemble them into a story that you tell yourself and that is what the dream becomes but it's unclear whether or not this is true because we know that animals dream and we don't know if they have that same power to rewrite their own memories essentially um so it's a, uh, sort of a mystery, but that's sort of where that, um, where that idea comes from, right. Of like your dreams having some sort of meaning it, it's, it is, uh, yourself, you're the one like making those connections, which brings me to my next topic, which is dreams and movies, right? Movies are a series of images that don't necessarily connect. Um, but your brain connects them and forms a story out of them and although we all come away with the same story usually um it is still a process that happens largely inside of our own heads and uh the it's it's true that while you're dreaming and watching a movie similar parts of the brain are being used um and therefore it's very fascinating that Christopher Nolan chose dreams as a subject for this movie especially when you tie it in with the idea of this uh you know facade right we're making a production for a person and we have all these different players just like you mentioned um it's this it's this kind of acknowledgement that dreams and movies are very similar and that watching a movie is sort of like sharing a dream um ever since i came across this idea or like this this you know concept of dreams and movies being similar i've never been able to get rid of it it is as insidious as any idea leonardo dicaprio claims um <laughs> and I think that's really, uh, I think it's really interesting. And I think that plays a lot, it has a lot to do with your suspension of disbelief, right? If you, when you're dreaming, everything is real, everything is happening, you don't really have a chance to question it. And even if you do, it doesn't really seem to last. In a movie, it's, it's similar, right? You, you want to be taken up by the story. You want to be brought along with it. And although sometimes it's hard to suspend your disbelief, the more you suspend your disbelief, often the more rewarding the experience is um and yeah I, I love that uh that connection and i think it's such an interesting uh little feature of our culture that we have these shared dreams we call movies
0: yeah especially cuz you know a lot of modern movie theaters have the recliner seats too so you know you're even laying down in the theater and uh sharing in that uh, that dream that we're all watching to experience uh together um also kind of backtracking to uh kind of like why we dream or kind of the the uh practicality of dreaming with like kind of dealing with your um your memories and uh there's this uh, guy called matt walker we've actually talked about him on an offshoot episode way back in like 2019 but He's this guy who calls himself the sleep diplomat, and he tries to, you know, uh, inform the public about the need for sleeping, not just dreaming, uh, or maybe not even dreaming at all, but specifically for why you need to sleep. Uh, and there's a lot of fascinating things that we still don't know about sleep, and or things we do know that people just don't pay attention to, like uh, the fact that. You can't store sleep like you can't sleep a bunch and then gain the ability to not sleep for a long period of time. It's just not possible. We have not developed that ability. We need to sleep every night, um, which is something that people will restrict themselves from without a understanding the implications or B even being able to understand the repercussions of that you can be sleep deprived and feel fine because you're so sleep deprived that you don't realize how bad you feel uh which is a like crazy uh you know snowballing effect that can lead to you having some serious health problems um but yeah there's there's you know emotional regulation memory storage so many things that happen when you sleep so it's really important uh, to actually do and uh, yeah I don't know that most people really do it
1: I um, I recently saw something I, I must have been on reddit where they said they were asking a question if you are starting to feel sick what's the best thing to do and the top answer best answer was sleep take rest if you like if you get back on that get an extra couple of hours like your body will like has the energy to to get back and uh you know start fighting that infection or whatever it is uh early and uh you know quickly and um yeah i just think that's i i can th- think often about that uh those things that you talked about in that off episode and um the you know the sleep di- diplomats uh you know message there because uh it is true that you're never going to get enough sleep um Or you're not you're never going to get enough sleep. It's not it's true that you can never catch back up, right? You're always going to be behind um, unless you you make it a priority. And any person who says like, "Oh, I only need blank numbers of hours," they're lying. Actually, it's not true. Um, They're either like suffering in some unseen way that you can't tell, or they're just straight up lying to you. Um, (laughs) There's no way for them to like actually be a functioning person on very, very little sleep.
0: Yeah. He said that there's some number of people who can function on four hours of sleep. There's like a anomaly. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's like that number represented as like a, uh, like a 10th of a percentage uh, rounded to the nearest 10th of a percentage is zero. So it's like <laughs> basically nobody can do that. Like to, for, for someone to claim that it, they, they pro like in all likelihood they're lying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's sleep is important and it's like something we all know, but you know, here's your reminder. Uh, there yeah, you go. go As sleep. you're falling
1: asleep to this podcast, please right. don't wake up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think something is going wrong. There are dragons circling overhead.
1: Oh, uh, oh yeah. Those are projections. It seems like they've found us. We've got to get out of here. This has been Empty Space, the podcast inside Joey's head. Quick, uh, where's the kick?
0: Whoa! Oh! Uh, oh, I'm awake.
1: I, oh man, uh, that, uh, waking up uh, is such
0: a uh, painful experience. I should not have fallen asleep in this office chair. My neck hurts. (laughs) My, my, my ass is really
1: like giving me (laughs) trouble now. (laughs)
0: Um, Oh, well, um, we're still recording. So let's go ahead and bring this episode to a close as we do at the end of every episode of Affable chat. We will deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to inception? I give this movie one 50 year afternoon nap. Very nice. Um, I give this movie a real life shared sleeping machine, so we could spend more time thinking about this movie without burning up too much real life time
1: <laughs> perfect <laughs> that's so
0: perfect okay, um well, that does it for inception. Joey. what's next on affable chat?
1: Next, we are doing the uh you know the pre well, i guess the uh sequel to inception
0: um Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> ah yes the uh the next i have become uh,
1: dreams destroyer of (laughs) of your subconscious
0: i have become sleep uh i'm a big sleepy head that's what he said oh man uh yeah i'm excited it's gonna it's a big summer blockbuster it's It's a big uh they're gonna gonna bust
1: those blocks wide open with those uh nuclear bombs i hope they give us one as like a souvenir for going to see the movie get your own
0: oh wow yeah we i mean it's our constitutional right to be yes, able to carry right. so every american <laughs> should have a nuclear weapon that's true
1: <laughs> you can subscribe to us on itunes spotify google play or wherever you get your podcasts
0: affablechat.com com is your new favorite website on the internet there you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts including twitter instagram tiktok and youtube all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address affablechat@gmail.com com. Um, if you like this episode, then uh,
1: dream about it. Um, and while you're in the dream, tell all of your dream friends, have you considered
0: listening to Apple Chat? <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.